0: And a thunderous
1: kaboom kicks us off wherever you are, whenever you are. And however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and snakes using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you, helping you out. The only way we know how, by being in your ear holes for 90-plus minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Indeed Prime and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who I can only assume is partying non-stop in celebration of the U.S. World Cup victory! Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian.
0: Hello, Jeff. Back to back. I know this is a video game show, but also uh, congrats uh, to the U.S. Women's National Team, four-time World Cup champs back to back. And also, apparently L.A. is home to every basketball all-star game now when the Clippers and Lakers play each other. Holy crap are those two teams stacked coming into next year's uh, NBA season. Oh, man. Sports, 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 sports on the video game show. Hey, let me just put it this way. I can tie it in. Uh, The Konami game says they're not going to put women in their game, their soccer game. Boo. Boo, Konami. Do you even make video games anymore? Boo. And also, now when anyone plays NBA 2K at my house, you're not allowed to pick either LA team.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, OP. Uh, Christian, you are full on blowing out right now. Am I? When you you talk uh, with
0: gusto. Well, maybe it's because I my mic is too hot. How's that better? Yep, great. Uh,
1: but it, but it was really happening when you're like boo or what, what, all that stuff. So just so you know. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we have lots of video game stuff to talk about. We got uh, we got stories. We got games we've been playing. It's summertime, so uh, you know it's different around the video game parts. But at least people have time to play stuff. Some people. <laughs> Not me, but some people um, and we have we have an awesome guest to talk about video games with you know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian but this week I'm so excited because once again DLC stands for dorsal land correspondent because dorsal is a Finn and he lives oh, in wow. Finland <laughs> And you know him from his many shows, uh, Pixels, The Instance, Daily Tech News Show, so many more. Our friend, Mr. Patrick Beja, is back with us. Hello, Patrick. Uh,
2: Jeff, two things. Uh, first of all, I'm always so happy when your schedules uh, are completely screwed up to the point that you uh, can have me on with our weird times. And secondly... Dorsal land. I I stopped listening after dorsal dorsal. This is you outdid yourself once again. This well, is thank amazing. You. Thank well, you. Pat.
1: Hey, I, you know, I have to say, Patrick, um, I, not to uh, not to blow smoke, but honestly, after you were on last time, which was all the way back last December, you are one of our most requested returning guests people loved your appearance last time so i am it's tough to get you back on because as you said time zones but when it works out we're very grateful and uh, happy to have you
0: now you know what it's like to podcast with expectations patrick good luck (laughs) (laughs) well we got a lot of stuff to talk
1: about this week including an article that patrick wrote that is a little provocative and pretty interesting so we'll get to that uh, a little later in the show but let's start the way we always do with story of the week Story of the week it's the story of the week. Story of the week it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's five by five dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks there hanging out being part of the community, so we welcome you to join them. Patrick, you are our guest, so you do get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week?
2: Um, I think the actual story of the week might be uh, the TenoCon slash GuardianCon happening at the same time with lots of news for Warframe and uh, Destiny. Mm. I am not a Warframe player, however, and I might talk about Destiny a little bit later in the show, so I'm going to choose something else. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm going to talk about uh Nintendo and the fact that their uh, Switch Online service has reached 10 million subscribers which fair enough it was you know in April it was 8 9.8 but reaching 10 million this is essentially half the user base of the Switch and what's what happened was that from the last console to this one they decided you know what we're going to make you pay for online uh just like everyone everyone else it's fine at least they have a decent online service uh now but uh they're making with almost no additional uh, uh work on their part i'm being a little bit cheeky but they're making uh what like 200 million dollars more with this and it's it's crazy how uh, successful they are it, I, maybe it's not that crazy. The Switch is selling gangbusters and and uh, they have, what, 20 million uh, Switch Switches sold. Mm-hmm. But I think it's significant. You know, 10 million subscribers um, yeah. for that company. It's good.
1: Well, you've got, right, you've got uh, Super Smash Brothers being a big, big force in propelling that. You've got Tetris 99 being a big, uh, requiring that subscription. It was kind of the, uh, kind of the launch title for that subscription service in a lot of ways uh, mario kart now uh splatoon there's a lot of really compelling first party nintendo games that would make someone want to sign up for that service i think it's uh i think it's as you said a, a strong number to have nearly half their their install base subscribed i would i don't know what the current numbers for xbox gold and yes i don't know about
2: but. the xbox gold the playstation now uh, not now sorry playstation plus has about 30 to 35 million out of the 100 million ish um yeah. install base you know, like so yeah. more a third yeah yeah
1: well still i mean th- th- as you said that's a it's a pretty significant number for nintendo and they have been very late to this party this mario party uh with regards to online and understanding that people want to do it. They've certainly not implemented all the features that one would want, uh, in a timely manner and done. So it, it's been all sort of, I would say ad hoc and patchwork and weird implementations where you have to use your phone. So I don't think it's been a smooth transition, but certainly people want it. If you can judge those numbers that way, I think it's easy to easy to make that conclusion.
2: I think the Tetris 99 was kind of a, uh, uh, important moment for the service. But really at its core, it's just, if you want to play online, you have to have it. And everything else yeah. is kind of, uh, you know, nice little bonuses. But people, maybe Tetris 99 convinced me. Um, but the other thing is, you know, it's 25 bucks a month and, you know, counting the free offers and whatever, maybe it, it a makes a little. So- right? A year, a Yeah. sorry, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Uh, but it's so cheap that now that I'm subscribed, I will never not be subscribed, right? There's no reason to well, that's unsubscribe. why people do
1: subscriptions. That's why these companies yeah, all exactly. want subscriptions, is because exactly. that is momentum. That's how it works. If you if you if they get you to pull out that credit card one time, you tend to just keep it going. That's why the WWE move to a subscription service. I mean, that's everybody wants to be on that subscription service because it's hard to get you to buy things. It's easy to get you to sign up for something that automatically charges you every month. Yeah. Christian Spicer. Are you a Nintendo switch online subscriber? I have to admit I am not.
2: I oh. am happened
0: since uh, day 1 and I I think to me the service is, it shows well a couple of things one you don't need it to play games online which is different than the other services and I guess there are a few exceptions with other services as well where it's kind of I think of you, game do, you, it you do Christian you you do need game. To-
2: Oh, not okay. For,
0: not for Fortnite, you don't. I think you might right. not for Rocket League. I'm not sure. So I think third party games they don't need to use it. There are also workarounds for voice chat that don't require um, Nintendo's awkward cell phone app. So it's still a little wild westy, but you certainly need it to play Nintendo games online. And I think Nintendo has built a heck of an arsenal of incredible. Games that are better played online. Smash Brothers, while it on again off again problems, and hardcore players, of course, will claim that online is never going to be as good as in person. I don't disagree there. Splatoon two, now Super Mario Maker two, Mario Kart, all these Mario games, Uh, Mario Tennis. There are a lot of really great games that. The online functionality brings a lot to them. And I think also the addition of that NES Classic Library it keeps growing and it oftentimes is overlooked. And I think there, what I love to see Super Nintendo games added to it. Yeah, of course. But there are tons of, in my opinion, incredible old games that keep getting added to the service. And then along with the occasional surprise like Tetris 99, plus, as Patrick mentioned, the very, in, in my opinion, small entry you know the the price to get in is so much less than the competitors that it makes it pretty easy to jump in with and then jeff as you mentioned once you've signed up you're probably going to keep being signed up after yeah. that for months and months and months and months until you realize i don't even have a switch anymore <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah why am i paying
2: what i i, I did want to add that um the the, the the issues with the online service and the app and all of this now that i have a kid uh he's only a year and a half but i'm starting to uh, think how am i going to be able to get him into gaming and to make him love him you're gonna love it okay all right um that's how i play it in my head um i think the fact that the online is so convoluted might be a feature for Nintendo. You know, they think about very young kids. They famously uh muddled a lot of what they do after Disney. And I think it's to make sure that only, you know, it's safe for parents to give them the the thing and they don't have to worry about things. So I, I really don't think it's uh it's a, 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 you know, they're now they've reached a level where they're smart enough to do it if they wanted to. I don't think they do want, don't want to do it better.
1: I think that's, Probably true. I, I mean, they've they've been explicit in saying that um, part of the friend code idea, uh, the genesis of that idea was to make it very intentional whom you are playing with, so that it's there aren't any kind of online predators that can just cruise for kids, et cetera. And I think I think you're right. It's it's easy for us to look at all of this stuff through the prism of our own behavior and our own experience, and as you know older people who've played games all our lives and want things to be frictionless and easy and, and, um, intuitive, uh, there's probably a, a really strong part of what they do that intentionally puts friction in so that it's not easy for kids to get connected to people that mm-hmm. they don't want to be connected to. I, I think that's only part of the answer. I, I do think that there is some, uh, lack of wanna, if, if, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, I think that Nintendo has been reluctant a little bit to embrace the online revolution and has only come to it begrudgingly, it seems. So I, I think that's only part of the answer, but I think it is a big part of the answer. Yeah, I think mm. I agree with you. All right, so kudos to Nintendo for, uh, you know, for that number. It's it's not insignificant, especially when compared to the install base of the Switch. And I think it, it indicates how strong the, the Switch has been as a new hardware platform for them and how strong the position is for Nintendo going forward. They, they really have carved out their own niche and uh, in a, it's a very strong console. I mean, we just talked last week about how Sony is explicitly saying that Nintendo isn't a competitor of theirs anymore. So Nintendo is just owning an entire portion of the market, which from Sony's perspective, which is pretty interesting. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week?
0: Um, well, I guess my story is I was digging through the trash can at Jeff Kanata's house, and mm. you would not believe what I found in there. I found an NVIDIA RTX 2080 um, mm. that was just thrown in the trash because it's garbage now.
1: Garbage. And... <laughs> also, a lot of a lot of dirty diapers. You probably found too. So, well, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I apologize for that.
0: Uh... It was worth it for the 2080, which is just a piece of crap. So I put it. I actually kept a diaper and put the 2080 back in the garbage because. That's where it belongs. Joke's on you, Christian.
1: Uh I never had a twenty eighty. I
0: only got a twenty eighty TI. So oh, well, never mind. You're just not garbage. <laughs> Dodge <laughs> the garbage bullet this time, baby. Whoo! Only a couple of thousand more dollars to keep, <laughs> 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 to keep it in your in your in your uh, PC. Yeah, well, every other card that NVIDIA makes is now garbage, as our old saying goes, as the much leaked has now been officially announced with NVIDIA announcing their super cards where the there's a 2060 super, a 2070 super, and a 2080 super coming a little later. And it looks like the 2080 Ti is still the the king of the pile. So oh. it was just it was just a diaper I put into my PC, but it seems to be working <laughs> great. It seems to be working uh, great. You have no idea how happy I was when I was like,
1: oh thank thank goodness. <laughs> still the most powerful card. Uh because they you know it was just last September that these uh these new RTX cards from nvidia were released so this is a pretty quick uh turning your card into garbage turnaround for them
0: and just done to really kneecap amd right who announced yeah. their new cards at e 3 and their price points that were while not competing with the 2080 and 2080 ti per se were really going after that 2060 2070 line and coming in comparable but also less expensive and then nvidia was like oh yeah oh yeah oops well look look what we did we bumped ours up a little bit and lowered the price however you want to look at it maintaining the same price point for a better card whatever uh have fun amd and these i feel like it's been a while since we've had earnest uh gpu wars like this between amd and nvidia and it's fun to watch is what i'll say it's fun to watch
1: yeah i mean it's a little bit dense to work through all the benchmarks of these new cards but they're a little better (laughs) <laughs> they're they're better right so it it is it, it they're they're at the price that the baseline 2060 2070 and 2080s were but are better uh and the existing baseline 2060s 2070s and 2080s have their price reduced so those are already pretty awesome cards that you can get for comparatively very little uh the baseline 2060s is like 350 bucks so I mean, still no, nothing to sneeze at, but these are
0: garbage, but yeah, if you want,
1: (laughs) these are, these are, you know, bringing, trying to bring ray tracing and all those features of those cards, uh, down in price. And the, the, the existing price points are actually much faster. And for the benchmarks that I've been reading, it says there's actually pretty significant bump in, in performance. Um, evidently there's, uh, improvements to the touring architecture itself that powers the cards. Uh, it ups their efficiency and um, the the throughput, the the frame rates that you're going to get on these cards actually pretty significantly improved from their baseline counterparts, which were already pretty awesome cards.
0: Like 15% boost is kind of what I, if you want to generalize. So it's like, you know, it's, this isn't a generational leap, but it is something that if you're really pushing your rig, you will likely see Um, Are any of them worth it for you? Probably not, I would guess. But have I been looking at the 2070 Super a lot? Yeah, I've been looking at it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my... My issue with it, though, is the main drop. Currently, I'm, I'm still running my, uh, 970. So I guess, you know, there's the garbage and then there's a layer of dirt and what's under it is my oh, current card. Oh, okay. so,
0: I got So mine's, <laughs> mine's compost.
2: Oh, so yeah, mine is what you get after the, the <laughs> compost has been composted even more. Um, but it's i still feel completely fine with every game i play i play a lot of on consoles but i also play on pc and it's no problem at all and the main draw of these new cards the previous generation included you know the 20 xx um was ray tracing and i fear that even with these new cards first of all there aren't a lot of games that do ray tracing um and second of all even those that do, once you turn on ray tracing, unless it's, what was it, Doom or Quake or something ridiculous like this, um, it's probably not going to run as well as you would like it to. So I'm still not convinced, even with the Super uh, 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 moniker. And and I guess I'm going to have to wait for the Hyper uh, or something. But uh, Yeah, Hyper
1: Turbo Super Edition, yeah.
2: I don't know that either... Of these, any of these cards are are worth it, and we always say this about new cards, but especially here because their main thing I don't think delivers well enough. The ray tracing is not here or iffy.
1: Well, it, as you might expect from me, I will tell you the
2: <laughs> as the proud owner <laughs> of a twenty, 20- yeah, <laughs> I will yeah. tell you
1: the upside of of this is that it brings the price of entry for ray tracing down for everybody, and I think that that's how you're going to see that feature implemented more. And as we've heard, the next generation of consoles are going to be built around that capability. So in a year or so, every game is going to have ray tracing, I think.
2: Right. Year. So I'll wait a year yeah. to buy the next these, generation of hardware.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a very wise decision. I, I wouldn't ever uh, begrudge anybody waiting. It's always, it's always the smarter move to wait. But I do think that these are very powerful cards, even without ray tracing, uh, functionality, Mm. you know, they, they push some, push some frames and it's good that the the prices are coming down. And as you said, Christian, a graphic card war is good for consumers because it's, it's pushing prices down. It's pushing functionality up and making these companies try to outdo one another. And uh, I think that, I think what we will see, the abilities of these cards will be the baseline going forward as the new console support them and as the prices get low enough that the user base um, adoption rate improves. So I think this is a good thing, and I, th- I think it's really exciting. And I-, I love the fact that AMD and NVIDIA are competing, and I'm super happy that my card is still <laughs> top of the pops so, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's going to be good, and I-, I agree with you, Jeff, that... Uh, you got to push the tech forward. And I think NVIDIA, well, one, they're trying to sell more cards, but they're, you know, you got to push that tech forward and the first generation of something is never going to be the best implementation of it. But getting it out there and getting people excited about it and getting more games to support it is only going to make it, you know, more supported in the future. And I think if you watch, even right now, some ray tracing on, ray tracing off videos, you can really see what that brings to the table. And I think ray tracing will be a feature that, and we're seeing it already talked about for next gen consoles that will continue to be developed and it won't be, you know, 3D TV or a dedicated, sorry, Jeff, no. VR port um, for your <laughs> yeah. graphics card. Yeah. What's up with
1: that? Do they, that's I haven't even seen. Do these super cards have the VR port on them that no one seems to be supporting?
0: <laughs> no, Which one it's so it.
1: frustrating to me um, because I want that. I want the single cord solution anyway. Yeah. My story of the week, I think I will have to go with uh, TennoCon and its related uh, announcements. I'm not a Warframe player. I've dabbled, and it's always a game that has made me want to dive in. I have friends that that are very intense Warframe players, one of whom directed a new trailer for Warframe, Uh, So TennoCon is happening this weekend, has happened, is happening, and there's a bunch of new announcements about Warframe, and the debut of a brand new, fully cinematic trailer for uh, the next, uh, they call it an expansion, but it's not really an expansion for Warframe. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, But this trailer is directed by friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, and it is awesome. Have you guys had a chance to watch it yet?
0: I have not watched it. Yes.
1: Oh, Christian... And when we're done, you gotta, it, it's so awesome. Six and a half minutes long. I think um, just incredible. And it, it shows how great a director Dan is, but also he genuinely loves this series, this, this game. And uh, you can kind of tell how much he wants it to be amazing. Um the, the it's an action sequence inside a sort of dream sequence. It is really, really cool. And it's pretty exciting. It's tied to an overhaul of Warframe, a game that has been in development and released and free to play for many years now and keeps improving, improving. They have, I think, over 50 million players now. And this new expansion, which isn't really an expansion, is really a more a restructuring of the fundamental game. It's not a new area to go and do, but it is Uh, a new way there's going to be a, I think a new tutorial system. There's, there's a new, um, interstellar space combat section where you can get a ship and fight on a ship and jump off the ship and board enemy ships, take over their ships. Uh, looks so insanely cool. Um, it's, it's all integrated into the fundamental part of the game. So it's not like it's, you have to get to a certain level and then the new expansion unlocks. It's more like, it's just a better game right from go. And I think that's a pretty exciting thing. If Warframe, they're upgrading the engine to make the graphics better. There's a bunch of new Tenno suits to, to collect and upgrade. Man, it makes me want to play this game. It makes me want to dive into this game. And it is free to play. So there's really nothing stopping me. It's just like one of those time suck games where it—you know it's your whole life for a while. And it kind of makes me want it to be my whole life for a while. Uh, Patrick, what did you think of this trailer?
2: Uh, the trailer itself was pretty amazing. I mean, I have met Mr. Track, Trachtenberg, um, at BlizzCon. I shook his hand. So obviously it colors my opinion. Um, but I think it is, it, it, it looks, it makes you want to be in that, uh, uh, frame, in that warframe and, and be a space ninja. It, it is from an action point of view, really cool. Um, and it builds an interesting world. I've played Warframe as well. I've played, you know, I dabbled and I played maybe a couple dozen hours. Um, and, and that was like scratching the, uh, tutorial. I, I felt like the game has been released since 2013 and it feels a little bit too complex for me to dive into, especially since I have, um, I believe you guys have a, um, a a little stinger for such situations. I have a lot of games to play. There you go. (laughs) I was trying to be subtle. Um, and, and, and there are definitely, it's the kind of game that would be my whole world. If I didn't already have like 15 other games that are, that could be my whole world. And one that is, um, but yeah, the, the trailer, I'm really looking forward to um, the, the revamp, uh, which the trailer is kind of a, the, the launching, uh, the, the gun firing to indicate the launch of, which should make things a little bit more palatable to you players. And uh, maybe I'll jump back in uh, at yeah. that point. But yeah, it looks cool.
1: Christian, another one of the big features that they announced at TennoCon for this revamp for the new overhaul of it's called Empyrean I guess is the new technically expansion but overhaul of Warframe is that they're integrating a nemesis system like from Shadow of War and I know you're Hmm. a big fan of the nemesis system and we've all sort of been waiting for that to permeate into other games and it looks like Warframe is doing that there's going to be a uh, an enemy at least one that is a big narrative character big you know mainline boss character who you'll defeat many times and will remember the things you do and how you did them and will keep coming back at you in different ways it sounds really cool right christian i mean this is this game keeps getting better and better
0: yeah it really does and to this uh trailer uh another friend brad arnold uh, did the storyboards for it
1: yes he did he frequently um,
0: works with Dan. yeah yeah he's an incredible artist um I, this is the game that I have started on numerous machines, PC, PlayStation, and Switch, um, and I keep wanting to get into and for some reason never get past five hours, and it's a me thing. I don't blame the game, but I think it's a testament to how great the community is th- in the game and how well they are continue to support it where you know month after month, year after year, they continue to iterate and build on this thing, and you never really hear outcry of, you ruined it a lot of times when games receive such large overhauls um, on such regular occurrences where you know half the audience hates it and the other half is like, well, it's okay. And the other half is like, I'm new. That's three halves. But it seems like time and time and time again, Digital Extremes does right by their player base and keeps them engaged and makes something that's fun and exciting. And it doesn't seem predatory either. <laughs> and like, here's this new thing, $4,000, the thing you've all wanted. And everybody's like... I guess we got to pay for it. Like, it seems like a a really interesting business model for um, how to make this type of game. And I I wish other publishers and developers would uh, study it and and learn from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So really cool stuff. Uh, Congrats to Dan on the launch of this trailer. It also makes me real excited for that uncharted movie. Uh, You know, I'm just saying combination of watching Tom Holland in in Spider-Man this when he weekend, does his
0: uncharted audition for a scene.
1: He basically there are very there's a couple of scenes that are very uncharted like there's a couple of scenes where he's like full on doing uh, awesome stuff out of the Spider-Man costume and you're like,
0: "Oh." Like oh, when Nathan. he front tucks his shirt and says, "Chloe, come on." I was like, <laughs> "Oh, come on. A little <laughs> wink, please." Oh, Nathan. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, I I'm I'm
1: very excited for
2: I'm so glad it's someone like Dan who's doing this. Like it's, it feels like there are all of the, there aren't enough directors for these things that know what they're doing. um, And that, that have a genuine love for, for the original material, just like for Warframe. He, 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 I think he contacted them. He was like, I love your game. I want to do something with you. And, And it's, we're, Finally, we're getting these things from people who actually love them. So I have high hopes for Uncharted.
1: Yes, I can. I can verify the fact that Dan loves Warframe and has many times tried to get me uh, to play more of Warframe, um, including this weekend when his trailer launched and he's like, uh, guys, it's free to play. Look at his, here we go. So, uh, yeah, it J- comes from a place of really loving this game and he's put many, many hours into Warframe. So anyway, awesome stuff. Uh, just a couple of other news things. I wanted to get your take on guys, including the fact that remedy got the rights to Alan wake back. I'm a huge fan of the first Alan wake at the time. It was not a, exactly a, super well-received game. I think some people had expectations that it was going to be a Max Payne uh, kind of spiritual successor, and it, and it really was trying to do something a little different. Um, but I think it has gotten more popular. It's become one of those cult games that people look back on more fondly than, than at the time. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion about an, an Alan Wake 2. Evidently, Remedy said they were working on an Alan Wake 2 and then found out that they didn't have the publishing rights, but now it has reverted back to them because they, um, they paid out the royalties that, that were owed. And so they can now make an Alan Wake two. So Patrick, are you excited for the potential of a remedy authored
2: Alan Wake two? So I'm the worst person to ask this too, because I am not because I didn't play Alan Wake one. Oh. I love remedy uh, and Max Payne, but, yeah, so, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not gonna comment
1: well, uh, christian, I know you you were just bubbling after e three about control, which is the next remedy game, and uh that's very encouraging because I think they've sort of stumbled recently i I don't think um, what was the game before that the one that was the t v show, the one with the, the guy, yeah, and the other
2: guy and and little finger, ah. Uh, Yes, yeah, of course. Little also. Ahead.
1: Anyway, um, are you yeah. uh, are you excited about an Alan Wake too, Christian?
0: I'm I'm very excited that Remedy has the rights back. I think that when the creator has the rights to their art, it is often beneficial, and I think it's kind of like what Patrick was talking about for you know directors that have a passion for the project they're working on or a deep understanding of it. It seems to me now that if there is going to be an Alan Wake 2, it will come from a creative spark or a place of passion and love and a desire to make the game and not, oh, well, our, you know, online survey <laughs> says people want this. Who's the studio that can make it? You make it. Now you're making Alan Wake, too. And it's just kind of made for potentially the wrong reasons. It seems right. like now if there is one made, it will be made for the right reasons. And I, I am very excited about Control. And I don't know. I mean, I think the golly, quantum whatever. break, by the way, yes, quantum break. I, I do think quantum break was a miss for the studio. And I guess we are in an a era now where you're only as good as your last hit, but I feel like Remedy's track record is, is more than that. And I feel like that game too, for better or worse, was really held back by the Xbox one's bigger ambitions at the time of being this, they had the Microsoft movie studio or whatever it was called, where they're going to make original shows and all this stuff was going to exist. And it just wasn't a well-paced game where you had to watch, I'm exaggerating, but what felt like a 30-minute cutscene every every time you died on a boss. Like yeah. that's not great design. But I think in general, Remedy has made fantastic games. And I'm very excited to see them have the rights to Alan Wake back because, you know, that franchise is so cool and so interesting and told such an interesting story in a world that I think can be explored um in much grander way. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do. There were rumors that the first one was kind of open world is what they were kind of specking back in the day. Yeah, it didn't so I'm curious to see what they can do now with the, you know, better performing um, consoles. Yeah.
1: I, my hope is that they don't get tempted into making Alan Wake less Alan Wakey, you know what I mean? And, and making it more of a pure shooter uh, or more like a max Payne. because what was so special about Alan Wake was the eerie, Twin Peaksiness of it, and I feel mm-hmm. like even even when it was released, it it pulled back a little bit from what the promise was. As you mentioned, the idea of this sort of more open world, more mystery solving idea, and the game did have uh, a lot more action in it than I think it was originally pitched as having. But that action was really cool. You ha- you know, you shown your flashlight on enemies first, and then could shoot them. It was really kinetic and cool and different. Um, but I would, I would hope that a sequel now that we, you know, that open world is more the norm and the the power of the hardware allows for more, you know, grander visions. I, I'm really hoping a second Alan Wake might be more like what they first were teasing at, mm-hmm. um, allowing you to, you know, explore the, the weirdness and the people and have conversations and solve mysteries while these black oozes are attacking you (laughs) it
2: seems like the the kind of games we've been getting thanks to the push from indie uh, creators are have a little bit of a broader range as well and something like the i I didn't play it but i remember the original promise very atmospheric and and well essentially not a lot of action or less action than you might expect from a triple a title um might be more doable as you know from a planning or you know a spreadsheet presentation we're going to do this okay no you need more action scenes and shooting shoots uh in the game um nowadays it might work better so
1: yeah i I'm hope saying. so i i think that would be cool and i'm very curious to see if this materializes and it sounds like if they were working on it and then had to pull the plug because they didn't have the rights maybe it'll be further along and sooner to arrive than Otherwise, you know, just getting the rights would indicate. Well,
0: it's so, gonna be way better than Willan Ake, which was the original game they were working on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Well, um, we got lots of games to talk about, so I do want to move on. But first, we need to thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. Oh man, if you have any reason to have a website, and let's face it, we all at some point do whether you're trying to sell something online or you have a blog or you want to showcase your work or promote a online business or a physical business for that matter, anything that requires a website and we all have to have a website. I mean, I was at the park today with my, my son and my, father-in-law bought him this giant inflatable rocket that has water and it shoots up into the sky and we misplaced the instructions. And I was like, well, let's just go online. I'm sure the instructions are online because I'm sure this company that makes this crappy little inflatable rocket has a website and has instructions posted because everybody needs to do that. You have to have everything online. let Squarespace be the way that you put all of your things online because you don't have to pay somebody to make a website. You can make it yourself Squarespace has the tools and they're easy to use. They're intuitive. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. In fact, you can start making your website on Squarespace without even giving them a credit card. You can use their tools, build the website, and you don't have to pay until it's time to launch. So what you do is you head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, then you build your site, and you use their free trial. You just mess around with it. Make this site how you want it to be. See how easy it is. See how all of the stuff is built in. They've got analytics so you can grow your business if, if that's what you need to do. They have everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. They have uh, e commerce functionality. You just drag and drop an e commerce. Uh, it says you want to sell something super easy. They, you start with a template, it's so simple. Build it yourself. Use that free trial, and then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Jeff sent me. J e f f s e n t m e. Get yourself 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Build it yourself. Make it. Don't pay somebody to do it. Build it yourself, and let us help you save. Squarespace.com/slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10 percent off. Ooh, Time to talk about the games that we have been playing, Patrick. I know you have playing been playing several. What do you want to start with?
2: Oh, uh, I guess I. There are. A few, I played a lot, uh, but few. A lot. No, wait. I played a lot of games, but few of them were played for a long period of time. Um, so a few hours for most of them, but the one that I dove back in and that I have renewed, it's like. If I had married Destiny a few years ago, uh, I feel like I keep renewing our vows every few months or every year or so. And yeah. it's, it's awesome. You know, we, we like, we have a little ceremony, just Destiny and me on the beach in the sunset. It's, it's wonderful. And it's such a good game, guys. It's such a good game. I, I've realized Destiny 2, uh, or, well, the, the series has been with me since its release uh you know on and off but uh for five years there are few very few games that i've been with and happy with for that amount of time maybe wow is the only one longer but um so yeah i'm playing destiny again and i love it i love it
1: so what brings you back to destiny what is it that you when you leave you're like oh i got other games other shiny things other other relationships, I want to start. And old faithful <laughs> destiny, standing there, going. I'm standing here, just a just a crazy kid standing on the beach in the rain, waiting for you to come back. What, what is it that brings you back?
2: Um, you know, it's always the updates, uh, the new content. Obviously, that that. Uh, uh makes my destiny bone tingle but um this year it's i was very skeptical of what they did uh with this year of uh uh expansion as People know Destiny 2 launched a couple of years ago. Then last year, it was the expansion Forsaken, and they didn't have expansions, one every few months that they would sell piecemeal or, um, you know, you could buy them as a season pass. They had an annual pass where they announced from the beginning um this is not going to be a standard expansion. It's not going to be story-based. It's not going to be a, a, a big thing. Um, and so I thought, this is crap. They're just going to be doing minor tweaks, and, and it's going to be boring, and it's not going to be a, a fun time at all. And it turns out, I think they stumbled into a fantastic way of approaching games as a service. They're essentially adding a little bit of context. I wouldn't call it story, but you have quests and stuff like that, but it's not a big single player campaign. Um, but mostly it's a new activity. It's like a new area of the game. Um, just like you have the, 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 the essentially instances, which are the dungeons, the strikes, you have the PvP, you have something in the middle that was introduced with, um, Forsaken, I believe, uh, which is PvEVP, uh, the, the, um, Oh, I'm forgetting the name. Anyway, that, and they've, with each new season of that annual pass, every three months, they've added a new different activity, which in Destiny, in pure Destiny form, it's always, you know, go shoot aliens in the face. That's all you do. But right. they give you, um, new guns to, uh, grind towards and, uh, a new fun thing to do. And the latest one is called the, the menagerie and, it's a six player, which was traditionally Destiny's raid size, a six player match made activity. So you just go in, look for a group, and uh, it groups you together and you go in. And it's kind of like a, ra- a, ra- a raid light. And it's, there's no fail state. You just take longer if you don't do as well as a, a more coordinated group. And so it takes you half an hour, 45 minutes. And you run through that and it's, it's just new, different, interesting ways of shooting aliens in the face. And it's so rich, but at the same time, structured and you have so much to do. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's still more destiny. You know, it's not like they changed the game, but they renew the, the, the fun of it so brilliantly. Um, that I'm amazed at every new uh, patch or season or anything like that. It's really good.
1: That's awesome. I, I love hearing you talk about it with such uh, such affection. I mean, is is there something that you're hoping – is this this loop continuing enough? Or is there something else that you would like Destiny 2 to, to embrace, to bring into the fold that, that it doesn't have at the moment?
2: Well, as Zoe is saying in the background, um, I believe yeah. that <laughs> no, she loves Destiny 2 as well. Much. No, she tried she's 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 saying that she wants to play too. You're not letting her. That's that you're like
0: how can I pick between Warframe and Destiny (laughs) two when both keep adding such great content?
2: I think um Destiny is Great where it is. And as we've all speculated, now that they don't have the uh, obligations that they had towards Activision, they're going to be able to push forward further or, you know, at the same pace in the niche that they've carved. Um, just like Warframe has been doing for years, you know, Warframe came out, I believe at the same time or a year before Destiny. Um, and it has its community that it's lavishing with awesome activity. I think there, there there is the uh you know the the initial part of Destiny 2 is going to be free to play kind of and they're focusing on end game um which is they have a super smart approach to uh end game now they've really refined uh, the way they they're doing it I could talk for an hour about how it works and how cleverly designed it is but I won't bore you with that to answer your question, I think they just need to double down on what they've been doing for the last year, Uh cater to their community, try to invite other people in, but make sure that the people who love Destiny keep loving it and keep paying with, for the expansion and annual pass, which I don't see why they wouldn't do. It's it, They've been hitting home runs. I, the people who played every day for months will tell you, oh, well, this becomes boring, this becomes repetitive, this becomes grindy. But for me, who plays for, you know, a few weeks and then waits for the next uh, season, it is perfect. And I think that's what they're going to be focusing on, bringing new stuff to do to the people every few uh, months.
1: Very cool. So what else is on your playlist?
2: Everything. Um, so first of all, Switch stuff. I've played Bloodstained and uh, Cadence of Hyrule. Uh, Bloodstained, I think you talked about it. Well, I know you talked about it last week, so I'll just echo, uh, I guess, Christian's comments last week, which are, it looks like uh, poo, but... <laughs> it, I still love it because it's on my Switch. Um And it's exactly what uh, Igarashi promised. It's essentially Symphony of the Night uh with new cool stuff. I, I really like it. It's the perfect Kickstarter. They've delivered on what they said they would. Uh, Cadence of Hyrule A a really great surprise. I thought it was going to be a skin of... uh, Again, everyone has said this. It's not a skin of Crypto the Necrodancer. It's a a Zelda game with uh, Necrodancer rhythm mechanics. Really love that. Um, Yeah, it's
1: it's really good. It's really good. And it feels like a Zelda game. I don't know how they managed to make that happen. I guess it's not just the visuals. It, It really... It structurally, feels like a Zelda game, yes. which is pretty cool.
2: Absolutely, um, really smart partnerships at Nintendo. They've like the two they've done so far were home runs, um, and and it's not like they were telling them you have to make a Nintendo game. It's really their own game with the Nintendo, you know, symbiosis somehow taking life. It's it's right. very well done, um, and I got uh, the Game Pass. Which means I dove, I plugged my Xbox One back in, and uh, I dove into a bunch of games uh, on Rush. Game Pass I, is the
1: killer app. Game Pass is, is Xbox's killer app. Absolutely, it's
2: crazy. absolutely. And I got it for cheap because I did the trick with the live gold and blah blah blah. So. Um, I played On Rush. I remember Christian talking about it with very positively, like a year ago. And it's, it's such a video gamey game game. I, I hope what happens is that, um, they give it the Rocket League treatment, which, you know, there was a precursor to Rocket League and it didn't do so well. And then they made Rocket League and had the PlayStation Plus tie in and it exploded. I hope On Rush gets that treatment somehow. Um, and other than that, I played uh, Gears of War 4 because I'm excited about the fifth one. It was so much fun. It's essentially gaming archaeology because you're diving into game design that is more than a decade old because Gears of War 4 was, you know, it, no evolution from the first one. I- I'm teasing, but more or less. Um And it's kind of stops in the middle of a sentence. It's weird, but I enjoyed it. I played through the entire thing. And lastly, Outer Wilds, everyone's been going crazy about it. I played yeah. maybe a couple of hours. I don't get it. I, it I'm well, not... it's
1: because you've only played a couple of hours.
2: Maybe. Okay.
1: It, it, it's, a, it's a roguelike. You probably haven't even gotten to that yet.
2: Oh, I died a few times. I did.
1: <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the idea is you're doing these runs, right? You're doing these runs right, right, yeah. of it's a roguelike, but instead of leveling up your character, you're leveling up your knowledge. Hmm. And uh, I think that's what makes it so special is that it is about figuring stuff out and using each run to increase your knowledge and have a new strategy and a new plan for mm-hmm. how to do it. So, for example, you know when you, when you take a run in dead cells and you go, okay, well, I got this weapon and that weapon, so I'm going to try to go to the sewers or I'm going to try to go this direction and go through these doors instead of those doors because that build works better for me. It's that, except I'm going to try to solve this mystery because of the last time I died, I got this and this, and I understand over here, these things work this way. Um, And I think that's what makes it special and clever, um, and maybe doesn't reveal itself in just a couple of hours Mm. of play. Okay, I have
2: to play more. I have to play more.
1: I mean, honestly, if you bounce off it, you bounce off it. I, you know, that I wouldn't, I, I, I'm an advocate now for follow the fun. Uh, So if you're bouncing off it, that's fine. But I think what makes it special is that it is fairly slow to reveal itself and how it reveals itself is in the world and the mystery of the world unraveling slowly over time and you sort of picking up on these threads of narrative and threads of mystery that, caused you to investigate certain things and then and then of course the heat death of the universe happens inevitably every time and you go okay well we'd all died we all died the entire universe is over but i'm going to start again knowing what i know and try again and and race against the clock before the entire universe gets swallowed uh to try to figure out more
2: i think there i mean i would follow the fun and i don't think that game is quite for me but at the same time i have to admit i don't think i've ever seen maybe that's a too strong a statement but it's very rare that you see the entire gaming world or at the very least gaming press um go crazy for a game in unison and if just for that i feel like i have to play to figure out what the 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 deal is what the big deal is because everyone loves it everyone i haven't heard any one person maybe i'm gonna get you know tweets now from this audience of people who don't like it but i i've never heard anyone um say oh no this game is not really good so i'm very curious i
1: mean i, th- I think i think it does it, it tries something that is very novel and very different mm. and, and and is getting lauded for that as i think it deserves to but it is also a game i could understandably see people bounce off of it is um Mm. it's very slow to reveal itself and it is it requires uh to be uh, you know taken on its own terms in a lot of ways and that's not easy and uh you know i i personally didn't fall completely in love with it i i have a weird issue now and it's gonna irritate people but i have a weird issue now playing first person games on a flat surface like i I want to be in VR <laughs> if I'm in a first person. I want it all around me. I don't. I, I have a this hard is,
2: time. This is it's, such a hipster statement. It's fantastic. Maybe, I love it.
1: Maybe, but yeah, I'm I, I'm being honest. I look at a 2D flat surface in first person, and I just go, uh, "Okay, uh, it's it's there's edges. Why? Why should there be edges? I don't want there to be edges. Um, so anyway, yes, maybe it's hipster of me, but oh, wow, hipster can be good. <laughs> um, so Outer Wilds, Gears of War 4, Onrush, all on Game Pass. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing service. And it, you have this like treasure trove of things. There's infinite games to play for such a, like a buck. Now we're all like paying a buck a month, uh, which is wild. Right? And
2: they're getting, uh, if you have the ultimate, you also have, uh, Xbox Live, you're getting Castlevania, which is perfect timing given the release of, uh, of Bloodstained. And uh, you're getting Shadow of War, which, fantastic game. I think that's in Game Pass uh, this month. Amazing game. Go play Shadow of War. It was murdered at release for reasons. We're not going to get into that, but it's really a great game.
1: Yeah, I saw you on Twitter making a plea for people Mm -hmm. to give it a second chance. Uh, Christian Spicer, I know you've been all about that Mario Maker 2
0: Yeah, I really love the game. There's a good article on Kotaku that kind of, uh, I agree with a lot of it by Zach Soizen. I apologize if I got your last name wrong, Zach, but the title is Put Some Checkpoints in Your Mario Maker Levels. And I agree with a lot of what Zach writes in that. And with that, I've been playing a lot of online levels and there are some phenomenal, phenomenal levels and people are very creative and are really good at making 2D Mario levels, whether it's um, a take on a... A shmup or they do interesting things we're pushing the screen left which it just feels it's kind of brain breaking in a mario game because you're not used to that constant march to left because every mario game is left to right not right to left but i found that there needs there's a difference between a hard level or a challenging level and a well-designed level and i think a lot of creators or maybe just the levels i happen to stumble upon and play are hard uh, but not necessarily well designed. I think they need to build in kind of like in a narrative or a horror movie or comedy or pick your genre right uh, an, a superhero movie they need you need to give the audience, your player a chance to rest and maybe celebrate or you know feel that accomplishment of having achieved something difficult and not just immediately punishing them and then starting back at the very beginning of the level again, unless. What you're trying to make is that what they refer referred to as troll levels, um, where it's just, this is going to be dumb and ridiculous and good luck. That's the whole thing. But I think there's something to be learned from the Nintendo-made levels and some of the levels from um, other platformers that you've played, where how they build in checkpoints and save states or whatever it is in the game that allow you to be like, holy crap, I made that jump. Okay, good. Now I know that I just need to start from here and I can start chipping away at the rest where it's like you spend the third, a third, a third, you get to the hard point. You can see the checkpoint just on the horizon. And it kind of motivates me to keep playing a level where it's like, if I can just get to that checkpoint, okay, good. Now I'm going to shake it out and I'm going to dive back in. Whereas if I don't know, if I don't have that checkpoint ahead of me or something like that, I find myself bouncing off levels that might do something really interesting later or otherwise, in my opinion, be an incredible platforming experience, but because it feels like, um, endless frustration, like I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm less engaged with it. So personally, I would love to see more checkpoints and Mario maker two levels that people are putting out there. And I think there's a lesson to be learned about level design and challenge and how you marry the two in what you're trying to accomplish um but man or, i love Or that you could game. just
1: get good
0: <laughs> yeah at, at designing levels <laughs> i agree with you <laughs> Jeff. you could get good at designing levels specifically for me <laughs> no
1: i i'm 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 a big advocate for that stuff and i really hate that that mentality of just well it's supposed to be hard so if you can't get through the first part you don't deserve to see the last part not
0: I get that for some levels too, but I've played a lot of online levels and I, and I don't assume that they're all made that way. And just from my little time dabbling in the maker, it's like, as you're making and building, you run a level so many times that I think perhaps projecting myself to other creators here, you forget how difficult that early part was and you're like, yeah, yeah I did it and I completed it. woohoo! And it's like, Oh no, no, no. Give someone a rest. There's, there's good narrative. There's good storytelling. There's good level design. And I think an For me personally, and I think if you look at the platforming games of all time, they all build this in as well. There's a reason why not every level is a boss fight, right? And there's a reason why even a game like Cuphead gives you places to put the controller down for a moment. You know, a a rest in the bullet hell even. Even if it's not a checkpoint, it's a, all right, you ready? Here we go, dude. Pick it back up. And you're off and running again. I think there's something to be learned from those tough-as-nails games too.
2: This is a little bit disheartening to me because I was, this is exactly the problem that Mario Maker 1 had. Uh, and I was hoping I didn't get the second one, um, because I was afraid of it. And it seems it's, that's the case. And really what, what the case is, is that game design is actually a job and that's why we need that. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. And, and this is the best example of, of that that we've seen. I'm sure some of the levels are really fun, but, the the reason why you can beat any game not just a mario level isn't because you're better than everyone on the planet and you beat the designer the reason you can beat it is that the designer wanted you to beat it if they wanted to make games that are unbeatable unbeatable then they could easily do that as it's so
1: that's why the term beating it is silly but that's, yeah. an, that's another discussion mm. because they, they want, didn't if they if it was a contest of who could beat it they could just go, you can't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very, very simple. But yes, anyway, that's a different discussion for another show. Mm. But I agree with you in that uh, th- th- it is it is an art. And there's nothing wrong with people not making levels without embracing that artfulness and or learning it over time. Or of whatever. course. And I think that's it's actually kind of amazing that... M- Nintendo has allowed their game to have things like troll levels, etc. It, it, just, it just seems so very un-Nintendo. And the fact that they've made this thing that can be out there in the world and have imperfection as the baseline. Like, there are far more bad Mario Maker levels than there are good ones. And the fact that Nintendo is okay with that is kind of extraordinary in and of itself.
0: Well I think the genius behind it is that it has to be clearable to be posted online. Yeah, like you yeah, technically don't have to be the one to clear it. Like I could de- design a tough as nails level and then hand my switch to the world's best, <laughs> you know, Mario player and then I can post it online. But you know, you on your account have to be able to complete what you design. And so when you play that troll level and as frustrated as you get, um, You or know as I somebody get, did it. Yeah. Yes. And I know how frustrated they got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. like, because even if they are an expert player, she was still probably grinding away trying to get through this game and get through this level. And then oh, power two, you post it online without a checkpoint. Like, I understand. I'm saying from a selfish standpoint. Give me checkpoints, I bro. Yeah. Yeah. You,
1: are you able? I don't haven't played enough to know. Uh, can you just go in and add checkpoints to somebody else's level? Or are you able to edit somebody's level?
0: No. Yeah.
1: Okay. But you can edit the Nintendo shipped levels, right?
0: Uh, I haven't played with that. I'm not sure.
1: Well, my playlist has a game. I think that uh, Patrick derided earlier in the show (laughs) offhandedly, but I, I finally checked out Quake two RTX, which is the ray traced version of Quake two that was put out on steam for free. Uh, And it's extraordinary. it's it's an amazing thing to, to have a game as old as quake 2 look as cool as it does. I mean it doesn't look great. The geometry is still very old. the mechanics are very old. but it I played more of it than I thought I was gonna. I was I booted it up to just see the flashy real-time lighting and, and ray tracing. And that is pretty spectacular. The idea that you can see where enemies are around a corner because you see the flash of their muzzle reflecting down the hallway or, uh, you know, an explosion happens and it lights up the whole room or even your you can use your gunfire, your flare gun to, you know, uh, see where things are or affect the world in some way because it's all being calculated, all bouncing off all the surfaces, reflecting in a realistic manner. And games obviously have realistic lighting, but this is another level. And and yeah, it still looks old, but it looks old and shiny, old and and illuminated beautifully. And actually just going back and playing Quake 2 at all was kind of a revelation for me because the game plays so differently than we're used to now for, for shooters. It really is a game about getting to the next health pack, which is something I haven't done in games in a decade 15 years maybe it it just you don't play like that anymore we used to always play like where's the health pack and how do i preserve it when do i need to use it oh my gosh i'm looking around this level where's the health pack i'm almost gonna die i'm almost gonna die because my health doesn't recharge there's no there's no save that way there's just can i get through where the enemies and uh it you know it doesn't really trace their bullets for you so you don't really see if you're in the line of fire, it is a, it's a real throwback experience that I actually enjoyed revisiting and found the game. I mean, the game on on my card looks high frame rate, runs lickety split. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And it supports ultra wide, which was fun, too. Um so I mean, I'm playing this old, old, old game in the best possible way.
0: I mean, the game's not that old. Let's be honest. As a couple of olds, it's as a old. few olds <laughs> doing a show here. I mean, it's a it's a young game. It could Ready still
1: new release date. No, December 9th, nineteen ninety seven. Ooh, that's a still in its prime. I would say that game <laughs> is very much <laughs> old. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was a really interesting experience. And if you have if you have one of these cards or are going to dive in now that these cards are down in price and a little more affordable. I highly recommend checking it out. Even especially if you've never played Quake, Uh, I think you might be interested to, see how we used to have to do it in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's also a lesson too of its level design and how things have changed because i don't remember quake 2 specifically but i i think this is the case where you know there are moments where a health pack isn't in your a b route to the exit and you kind of have to weigh like okay if i'm at i have 60 percent health left right now i can go left and get this health pack but i'm gonna have to wade through these monsters or am i better off Staying at sixty percent or whatever damage I've taken, and kind of moving to where I know the door is. And whereas now you don't see that level design the same way, where now it's they'll give you a box to hide behind, or you know whatever it is. And I think that's what makes it's it's a really interesting evolution to play Wolfenstein 3D, Quake Two, and then Doom 2016, or now Doom Eternal <laughs> when it comes out, yeah. because they're all kind of doing that same thing of uh, there's got to be a better word than gamifying, but gamifying health right? Health and progression and finding ways to make those combat encounters fresh and interesting. And Quake's approach with its speed and the mobility back in the day was was fascinating. And it's yeah. I think, interesting to look at today as well.
1: Well, they used to be games of resource management, right? The resources you had were your health and your ammo. And to a certain extent, games are still that. But if you look at Destiny 2, for example, the the notion of resource management in that game is wildly different than it used to be. It isn't a point to point resource management game. And, and it's about deciding, making informed choices of, of which weapon to use on which enemy you took out a boss fight in destiny. It's really not about resource management anymore. It's about strategy and how to take down certain enemies in certain ways and all those things. And, Quake just wasn't doing any of that at that time. It was it was can you survive? Can you get put enough uh distance between you and the can you swerve wildly enough to stay alive until the next health pack? Uh it's I think it's it's an interesting view of the evolution of first person shooters.
2: Yeah, and I think they they it's fair to say that they also required more Expertise um, back then, it is a little bit more difficult know. to survive. No, you don't think so. Okay, well, it's I been mean, a while since I've played it, but
1: maybe pure survival in the sense that mm. a lot of these games you know have automatic health re- regen, all that stuff. Right, you just sort exactly. Of hide yeah. your corner and you'll survive, but mm. I don't know if they. I, I don't know if they the decision making was quite as complex. I feel like we've added mm. sophistication to the decision making, which is why I enjoy games now more than then, but the you know w- the way games use the more simplified decision making is still interesting and worth yeah. you know considering and revisiting sure anyway that's quick to RTX which is uh, at least the demo is completely free uh, you have to have had the old Quake 2 in order to have the full game, I believe.
2: I just want to mention uh, before we move on, the reason I was making fun of it was not because I didn't think it was a good game. It's that, you know, getting a, a ray traced game, you have to get back to Quake 2. That's how few of them they are. So right. I love Quake 2. I love it. It's Yeah. Just, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I, uh,
1: <laughs> distinction noted. Um, I also got back into another older game, not quite as old, certainly, but Uh, The Steam Summer Sale is going on right now. And I was browsing the old Steam Summer Sale. Why would you do that? Yeah, I really, Jeff, honestly, I guess I hate (laughs) having things. And
2: I think uh, you hate time. That's the problem, because as we all know right now and for a few years, there have been really way. There you go.
1: Yes. There are way too many games. There are way too many games on Steam. There are way too many games that you can get for cheap. There's way too many games that I already have that I need to put more time into. And yet I found myself browsing the Steam Summer Sale. And what I found was, this is even more ridiculous. I already own No Man's Sky on PS4. Already own it. And yet here it was on PC, heavily discounted, 50% off. And I found myself going, hey, I'm going to want to play that No Man's Sky in VR when the VR patch releases. They say summer 2019, which is now. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not going to want to play it on my PSVR. No, 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 no. I'm going to want to play it on my sweet PC VR. So I'm going to want this game on PC. I don't have it on PC. I only have it on PlayStation 4. What better time than the Steam Summer Sale to pick it up? So I bought No Man's Sky and installed it on my PC and booted it up. I haven't played No Man's Sky in quite a while. First of all... Supports ultra wide, sweet. Uh, cranked <laughs> up those settings, sweet.
0: The game Tesla? Of- does it support Tesla? Like, where are we? I need I to know like all the full the- checklist. Ultra wide, VR, VR. first.
1: Yeah, then, uh, then Tesla. Um, it is real pretty on PC with those settings cranked in ultra wide. I love now it defaults you to third person view. So I'm into that. I love playing this game in third person. And the onboarding of this game has so improved since the, the initial run. You really have quests. You really have things you need to start doing right away in order to get off your first planet, in order to fix your ship, even fix the basic things that you start with. I remember playing the No Man's Sky initially, and you had your scanner, you had all your stuff, and you could start running around naming things right away. No longer in the new onboarding for No Man's Sky, which I'm sure has been around for months and months now maybe more than (laughs) that maybe years uh but i haven't played it um you now have to fix your scanner you have to you have to you know actually do some stuff in order to be able to be functional in anything uh in no man's sky which i i like i find that purpose to be engaging and it it makes me want it gives me some sense of of uh you know wanting to stick with it and, and do some stuff. Having purpose I think is, is not just plopping me down in a sandbox and saying, whatever you want to do. I like having quests. I like having um, a sense of where I need to go and, and what I need to do in order to get me into the world. And I was dropped in uh, a snow world which I don't even know if I went to a snow world in my initial playthrough of Snowman's
0: Sky. I didn't. I never got there. You never left your home. Planet, <laughs> so there's that.
1: Uh, but I started on this snow world. So it dropped me down and it's like, okay, freezing temperatures, you're going to die. You better hurry up. Get some, so I found a cave that had thermal stuff in it and I hid in there and healed up and then got some new stuff and repaired my thing and found my shit. It's like, this, this game is good. And what I said to myself is I'm going to approach this as if it's a completely new game that I just installed for the first time. I'm trying not to bring baggage as I just explained all the things I was thinking about
2: the original. Time. <laughs>
1: but I really was trying to not have any baggage from this being an older game or a game I played before and just be like, what if I just installed this for the first time? And I really dug it. I really dug it. I'm so excited for the VR patch to come out and to see how it feels in VR. But uh, no man's sky is very good now. And it, I think it's still 50% off on steam. So, you know, yeah, pretty good. I think I bought it for 30 bucks. So there you go. All right. Uh, we do have a listener review, a very short one. Uh, this was sent to DLC at gmail.com. If there's a game that you haven't heard us talk about that you'd like to review for us or a game that we have talked about, but you have a different take, don't hesitate. Send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, and we'd love to read your reviews on the show alongside our own. This one comes from Stephanie Mackless. Stephanie says, I uh, wanted to say how much I love the show and write a quick review. Amid Evil is a dark fantasy first person shooter from the same publishers that brought us Dusk. In my opinion, This is the much stronger game in every aspect. The 90s influences from Heretic to Quake are prevalent, but do not take advantage of retro nostalgia. Each world's level design is vividly realized, easy to navigate, and fills every void that has been missing from the genre. I truly believe this could be among the best releases this year and hope you all love it as well. Wow. Strong words from Stephanie about Amid Evil, which is a game I haven't played yet, but I did see it on the Steam Summer Sale, so I think (laughs) it's being sold right now. Amid Evil is the name of the game. Thank you. If you want to have your review, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send. All right. uh, I want to talk about an article that our own Patrick Beja wrote, but before we do that, do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Indeed Prime. Um, If you are looking for your next... Tech gig, it's time to flip the job search script with Indeed Prime. So on Indeed Prime, tech companies apply to you instead of the other way around. They apply to you with jobs that you'll love. You don't have to hate your job anymore. Think about getting a new one. Use Indeed Prime. Sign up and you with one free application, you can connect to thousands of companies in over 90 cities. These are companies like... Twilio, Overstock, Sling, WP Engine, PayPal, VRBO, great companies that are looking for people maybe like you and they will actually seek you out. So you don't have to send endless resumes. You can get matched to employers based on your skills, your experience, and your salary goals. You get access to one-on-one technical career coaching, including resume reviews, mock interviews, and salary negotiation tips. Pretty awesome cool. So whether you're hiring or you're looking, meet your match on Indeed Prime. Join now by going to IndeedPrime.com slash DLC. That's IndeedPrime.com slash DLC. I-N-D-E-E-D-P-R-I-M-E.com slash DLC. All right. So interestingly, Patrick, you wrote uh, an article, uh, not this week, but I think it was last week about... Mm -hmm. Uh, where you see the future of video games going and i think you've gotten some interesting feedback about that article i'll let you summarize it but it's basically focusing on streaming the streaming future on how uh, game passes are changing things and on controllers for existing services right
2: yeah, I'll give you the the uh, bullet bullet point version. Um essentially I'm talking about these three things, the controller part is a little bit cheeky, I'll get to that, but uh, subscription wise I'm I'm essentially saying something that I think everyone already agrees uh Which is they're here to stay in video games. Everyone wants one for a number of reasons. uh, And and they're going to be here because everyone gets something out of them. Customers get a great deal. Publishers get what we talked about, which is getting uh, your money regularly and not Having to convince you to spend sixty bucks every six months, um, and developers, there's some uh, fear there, saying they might, uh, n- you know, the value of games is going to diminish. I think there are opportunities and po- potentially more opportunities. It's different, uh, uh, additional uh, uh, revenue streams for developers. It will change, but I don't think the money money going into games is going to diminish. So. That could be an entire conversation in itself. But that's my uh, premise. Talking about streaming, I'm saying uh, something that some gamers are disagreeing with is that they are going to appreciate streaming in ways they don't expect now, because a lot of people think of streaming as what will it do to the way I'm playing now and not what will it, will it enable that I'm not able to do now. Um So one example is if I have a gaming subscription and I want to try 10 of these games that I've never tried, honestly, you don't want to install them and and to play them for 10 minutes, streaming them it's just one example but but it makes that a lot easier um and for streaming i think one thing i said uh in in the in the past is i was surprised google didn't announce a subscription service these are coming together now for stadia but now i think since you play plus was announced on stadia what they want to do is offer streaming as kind of a white box service for any publisher that wants it so the publishers would have subscription services on pc and then be everywhere else thanks to streaming so i wouldn't be surprised if uh ea bethesda ubisoft uh, well ubisoft is already there take to whoever um would also be on stadia for the, the subscription aspect of their streaming service
1: like i pay for time warner or whatever as my cable service and then pay for hbo or showtime or whatever on top of that
2: yeah, except for, uh, Stadia, you don't have to pay for it. Um, you pay for the subscription for, let's say, Bethesda and Google gets a cut of that money when you're playing it on Stadia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I imagine it would, it would work out. And in that way, I'm sure Microsoft would love to get, you know, uh, Bethesda's business as well, but Stadia by positioning themselves in that way from the get-go uh, seems like a uh, a clever way of doing it. You know, you have Microsoft and Sony are both going to have their proprietary streaming service, and we are the one for everyone else. And again, the reason you don't have a subscription on Stadia is that they don't want to add this to the other ones that are already, uh, go- well, not already, but I-, I think are going to be available on Stadia as well.
1: Well, I think you will have a I mean, you will have a Stadia. At least I will, because I want 4K.
2: Right, but that's to get 4K, and they still manage to get some money out there uh, that way for for uh, Google. But really, I think a lot of people are going to be happy, especially with those services with 1080p. So
0: I think there will be more to uh, plus. I really do. Like right now, it comes with the full version of Destiny Two, and the upcoming upcoming expansion that will then be the light. You know, it comes out in September. Doesn't launch till. Uh, Stadia doesn't launch till November. This plus version of it, I think. I think we're going to see more games be included, whether it's a uh, Xbox Games with Gold style thing or something closer to Game Pass. I'm not sure, but I I, I am hesitant to think that they won't provide some additional air quote value for that uh, tier of subscription because we talked about the beginning. Once they get your credit card. They're not letting go.
2: <laughs> I guess I guess that's definitely possible. But my point my point is, if you own a subscription, if you're subscribed to Ubisoft, then right. you can use Stadia without paying Stadia to stream 1080p anywhere. So by getting uh, Uplay Plus, you get it on your PC if you want to install the games or actually even stream them or everywhere else as well uh, for free via Stadia, unless you want to play 4K.
1: I would go farther than Christian and I would say I am, I would be shocked, shocked if the $10 subscription doesn't end up being a rotating grouping of games that you will, if you pay $10 a month to us, you will have for the month of August, you'll have these three, four, five games that you can just play for free, you know, including with your subscription. And then September, you'll have these, these ones that'll just work with stadia. I would be shocked if that is not the case. Shocked.
2: I mean, they've already announced they're going to do something similar to PlayStation Plus or Xbox Live Gold, where they give you games every month. So right. it wouldn't be so far from that. But yeah, it would. It wouldn't be surprising uh, for sure. But uh,
1: and I think it's a really interesting position to take that that they want to be the backbone on which these other subscription services rest, but. I don't know. I don't know what is better from a consumer's perspective, having something like the Xbox game pass, which it has a bunch of desperate publishers putting their games under one umbrella of a single fee or having this sort of pan device service, this, this thing that works on anything, anywhere all the time. Uh, but you have to buy individual channels of content a a a la, cable channels but in this case it would be ubisoft or ea or whoever the public the publisher is the equivalent of the hbo or the showtime or the whatever it is
2: well i think a lot of people are not going to subscribe to many of them um as we mentioned for on playstation plus which is required to play online there's only a third of the install base that's subscribing um so i think we might be overinflating the importance of everyone subscribing to everything but even then uh, my the the very shoddy calculation I make in the article is how many games do you think people buy? Core gamers, like hardcore gamers, who are the target for these subscription services, how many games do you think they buy every year? My my uh, suspicion is about a game a, a month, right? That that would I, seem. Boy,
1: I would love to see data on that, but I don't know. I, I my gut would be fewer, but I don't know. I don't know.
2: I think for the core gamers, but even if it's fewer, let's say you spend on average 30 or 40 bucks per month. um, That is still two or three subscription services. Yeah. And that's, you know, you can keep...
1: I don't know if people will do that calculus in their head.
2: I think when they see... When I subscribed to Game Pass, I knew I would love it. But when I actually did it, I... Completely fell in love. And I think once people yeah. start doing it and experience it, I think they're going to be there's going to be a lot less resistance, whether we like it or not, I think this is going to happen um, oh, because agree. it's too advantageous for everyone involved in the industry
1: for sure. And it is the future. I think we can all agree with, on that. I, it's going to be interesting to see how much people embrace it because I think there is some cognitive dissonance between. Uh, oh, I bought, how many games did I buy this year? Really? That many, huh? Because each individual purchase is a decision moment in and of itself that doesn't include the calculus of the previous decision moment. Whereas a subscription, I weigh the, well, I, I have Netflix and I have Hulu. Am I going to do another one? Oh man, I don't know. That, sure. I think those are completely different decision processes, you know, and it's hard to go, well, If you buy five games in a year, that's, you know, three services, whatever it is. I think that that would, it's it's, it's a different mental state.
2: Yeah, but the difference is you don't buy series that you would watch on HBO. Whereas here, the option, the other option is to buy the game. So you look at the game, 60 bucks. I want this game. It's available on this service. For 60 bucks, I can get it for four months or six months. Maybe I'll subscribe instead of buying it because I won't be playing it in six months. I
0: I think the way that they I don't want to call it like a back door, but I, I think the the way in for a lot of people, assuming you have a network that you know allows you to play Stadia in a way that you think is um, competent or XCloud or whatever it is, is the way they kind of get you. And I think the way they position Stadia to be, I'm watching you know Jeff play No Man's Sky on you know he's streaming it on YouTube or whatever. And I'm like, I want to play that That's a bad example, because let's just use Ubisoft game. You're playing, you're in love with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, playing it, playing it, playing it. I watch a video on it or I see Jeff playing and I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. I want to play that. I can click to instantly play it. And at that point, it will say, hey, this game's ready to go. You can spend 60 bucks and own it and play it. Or for 14 bucks, you'll have a collection of 100 Ubisoft games for three months. What do you want to do? And I think that's where they get you to get that subscription up front is because yeah. it's well, I'm not gonna be playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh, 14 bucks for three months? I'm not gonna play it for longer than that anyway. I'm I'm good, I'm gonna do that. 14 bucks. Now I'm playing. What a deal. I got Assassin's Creed Odyssey for only fourteen dollars. I'm gonna play the crap out of it, play the crap out of it. Oh, well, I'm kinda bored of that. What's this Rainbow Six Siege? I've heard people talk about that. Now I'm playing that. Now I'm playing that. Now it's two years later, and you've been playing I'm making up the price <laughs> and you've been paying Ubisoft whatever this thing is, and you haven't played some games on months, but you're not going to cancel it because you're excited about uh, Tom Clancy 24 or Splinter Cell's coming or whatever it is, right? And so I think that's how they get you is that they get you makes it yeah. sound uh <laughs> nefarious. But it's like that's the end where it's the – for me, for Game Pass, it was I want Forza Horizon 4. I can spend $60 right now and get that game or at the time I think it was $99 or whatever it was for a year of Game Pass is going to get me sea of thieves crackdown three forza horizon four uh gears four where i won't need my disc anymore ori and the will of the wisp whatever the new ori like all these games are already announced and so it was a i was like well i'm not gonna play that much forza after a year anyway if i do i can buy it for cheap for you know ten dollars or whatever it ends up being this is a heck of a deal i'm gonna get the game i want plus all this other stuff for a year you know, cut to two years later or whatever it ends up being, I still have it. Right. So I think that's the way in.
2: I think you're up to the spot.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I I think in particular, the thing we haven't talked about enough is that moment of the integration between YouTube and Twitch and all those things where, Hey, somebody's playing online. Do you guys want to play with me? Click this link. Uh And now you're in that game instantly. No installation. No. Do you own it? No. Do you, do you have the right hardware to play it on? You're watching it. And whatever the thing is that you're watching it on, you can play it on to immediately. I think that's going to be a huge game changer for Stadia. And it all plays into that next billion, right? It's not the people that already have all these systems. It's all the people that could just could have watched somebody play and now they're playing. Um, and I think yeah. that's a huge, expansive audience.
2: Which also plays into the fact that, uh, contrary to what a lot of people say, because they look towards the past or the present, uh, opens up the industry to more opportunities with these services. Um, And this segues really well into my last point, which is the most outrageous one, um, about controllers. You know, uh, Apple has announced that with the next versions of their OSs, they're going to enable you to pair Xbox and PlayStation 4 controllers to all of their devices including but not limited to Apple TVs and as we gamers know this is really an incredibly a a condition that you need in order to have core traditional games on those devices if you don't have a good controller it's not going to happen now it's going to be available it is already available on Android devices so essentially Every single device in the world that has a screen or that is attached to a screen is going to be, uh, streaming friendly. And any, you can, you can play any of those games, Microsoft games, probably PlayStation games, um, on any of those devices. And so that leads me to my thesis that it is not impossible that, uh, we will see uh, the, the Microsoft streaming service on the PlayStation hardware. Why? Because traditionally, the big reason why they were so protective of their platform is that the barrier to trying a game from the competitors was really high. You had to go out, buy a console, invest a lot of money, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Nowadays, if you own a PlayStation and you hear about uh Halo 6 coming out, uh the only thing you need to do in order to try it out, if you're curious, is to press a button on your remote control and take your controller and start playing. Everyone who owns a PlayStation is going to be a potential uh, customer for Halo 6. So looking at this, Sony, and, you know, it works the other way around, um, they have two solutions. Either they bury their hand in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Or they invite Microsoft in, and at least once someone is subscribed to Microsoft service on the PlayStation, they get a cut of it. So it's going to happen regardless, whether they get a cut of it or not. And if they do get a cut of it, then it's probably a better deal for Sony. Now, this is still, you know, I'm not saying it will definitely happen, but it goes from impossible at to it might in a weird sense. It still breaks my reality in weird ways, but... I think it's not as impossible as I would have thought, you know, three months ago.
1: Well, somewhere Dennis Dyack is laughing uh, and saying the,
2: the, <laughs> console the one future, console future it's
1: happening, right? It is, it is happening, however, slowly. Um, I, I think this is plausible in the sense that you saw a bunch of Disney content on Netflix until Disney was like, okay, we're doing it ourselves now because we don't want to give Netflix any more money. And I think in the short term, you may have a bunch of companies partnering and going, okay, well, you have the infrastructure. It's going to take us years to to spin it up. Uh, but at a certain point, they're going to look at the numbers and go, it makes more sense for us to do this ourselves than it is to ride on your piggyback. And uh, whether or not Sony gets that all going in time from their perspective is the determining factor as to whether or not they use somebody else's infrastructure. And well, you, have I mean, you have companies like Google and Microsoft who already have that stuff in place. And it's very plausible that a Sony or a Nintendo or other companies that haven't spun that up would go, hey, it makes sense for us to just use yours.
2: But that is even a different uh, level because obviously Sony is going to be using Microsoft's infrastructure for its streaming service in the future. I think that's almost a given, given their... their reason recent statement but this is more a uh should uh uh, apple allow google maps to be on its platform uh the the hardware is an uh, yet another level um the the all of them are going to have services available everywhere i i i'm sure the sony streaming service is also going to be available on every single platform possible but the the position of the hardware, which used to be the gatekeeping aspect of the industry, shifts dramatically. So the hardware part, I think, becomes very weird. And the question becomes, is it just a box to play the proprietary games that you have on your platform? Or is it also a device connected to a TV that can also play all of the other streaming services? And I'm guessing this won't be answered until 2024, because it's going to take time, but... It's a different yeah, question. I,
1: I won't be surprised if this is the last quote unquote console generation that it, at a mm. certain point, 2024, 2025, it just doesn't make sense for it, it, anything to not be streamed. Uh, maybe that's a little early. Um, I could yeah, maybe off, 2030. But I, I think at a certain point, it's going to be like selling DVD players. Like why? Who buys a DVD player? Nobody.
2: No, everyone does. The the surprising thing is that DVDs still sell a lot more than Blu-rays, for example. A lot of people still buy DVDs. So I think we might be a little bit optimistic on the uh, streaming future. But uh, it it will be here, but I think it's going to coexist with even traditional consoles for a little while.
0: I think you'll see new hardware manufacturers kind of enter the space as things become streaming and the value add is, you know, it's different than what we're used to right now. And I agree with both of you. This is, you know, a a few years off, if not several, but it's like what you buy an Apple TV or a Roku, you know, kind of, there are pros and cons to each, maybe the UI, Apple TV has an easier iTunes integration, but you can, I, I think you'll still see some stuff like that, but also like they both, they all have Netflix. I can get... Netflix on my iPad or on my Amazon Fire tablet or on my, you know, Android phone or on my iPhone. And I think you'll start to see it, Patrick, I agree, be kind of everywhere. What you're describing is Dennis Dyack's one's console future. That's exactly what he predicted
1: 10 years, more, 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah,
2: not in the same way, not in the same no, way. But
1: he
0: yeah. also predicted Two Human would be a trilogy. So, wow. you know, it's like... <laughs> Those games are still coming, Christian. Those okay, two, good.
1: <laughs> but I mean, he was basically saying... A lot of different people sell you the hardware. You got your Roku and your Apple TV. A lot of different people sell you the hardware in the same way a lot of different people sell you Blu-ray player. But the, the content plays on all of them. Said, yeah, okay. he was
2: saying it, it would all be PCs essentially, and you could play on all of them, the games that were made for that system. I think the future we're heading towards is a little bit different because as gamers, we'll, for a long time, we're still going to want to have the best experience locally. And that is going to be different from streaming for a good while. And so I, I,
1: I, I think really, we're, I, I am, I am that guy you're describing. And I think I am a dying breed. I think, I think there, I think convenience trumps that over and over and over again, and I think convenience will trump it in this case as well. And I think the people like me who want every pixel rendered locally because I want it to be perfect are dying. Uh, we are we are the dinosaurs, <laughs> and they, well,
2: we're all dying, Jeff, in a metaphysical sense. Oh, so sure. uh- I
1: think that in a in a, I think convenience is going to beat all of that over the long stretch. And at a mm. certain point, it's going to be just like Netflix where people do not care. It's just easy.
2: Yeah, I think we're talking about is it going to be 2025 or 2030? Uh, but I, for at least a decade, we're going to have uh, the transition period, I believe, is going to be where we have one console instead of having, you know, three. And we have the one console for the the games we really like, uh, be they Sony's games exclusives or or Microsoft, so that when we play those games, we play them in the perfect, the most, uh, 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 accurate possible conditions. But we won't necessarily need to have the second one, you know, the second console because we can play them streaming and maybe down the line, you know, 10, 15 years, who knows what's going to happen is we're probably all going to be living in hologram land or something. Um, nice. like that. <laughs> Jeff would be happy because he wouldn't have to watch FPSs on screens, which is so. <laughs> 1997 but um yeah at some point maybe streaming is going to completely take over everything but i think the transition period is going to be a little bit longer than we might think and during that transition period more and more people are even super hardcore gamers are going to be happy with just one console uh or maybe a pc or something but one thing to render the pixels locally for a good while still
1: well, it's fascinating, and I love the discussion. And if you want to read Patrick's article, where can people find it?
2: Oh, just go to Twitter. Uh, I'm not Patrick on Twitter. It's very easy. It's Patrick with a not in front of it, and uh, it's uh, on the top of my Twitter feed uh, right now. So you'll, it's very, a very medium cool. post, so it's tough.
1: We're going to wrap things up on this episode. We do have our parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. Patrick, in addition to your Twitter feed, uh, where else can people keep up with you and all the various things you do online?
2: uh very easy if you listen to this show you probably enjoy video games so uh, if you speak french go check out le rendezvous jeu which is a uh show i do about gaming a podcast so in your podcast app you type rendezvous jeu and you're subscribed or you have to subscribe and uh pixels is a show i do in english also about games that you might enjoy so pixels and le rendezvous jeu very cool
0: christian spicer what do you got going on this week I mean, there's a show tonight, but if you're in LA, it doesn't matter. Uh, Twitter's the best way to keep in touch, at Spicer. This show I stream most weeks, typically. This week was an uh, uh, asterisk, so thank you for also working around uh, my schedule. It was not nothing to do with Patrick. It had it was all about me. That's <laughs> how I like to view things. Uh, but I usually stream this show, which is typically 7.15 p.m. Pacific time, on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then my question to the audience um, I am not the greatest platformer uh, player of all time by any stretch of the imagination. And I know Klepek already does some great uh, Mario Maker streams of tackling the levels I believe Dan makes for him or hard levels from the community. But if there is a community interest in this show of, you know, Christian versus Mario, if I stream uh, an hour a day or something like that of Mario Maker, um, I play it. So maybe I'll you can talk me into streaming it. But that's something that people would be interested in let me know. Twitter's probably the best way at Spicer because uh, I like that game and it's not that hard, I guess, to stream it instead of playing it on my couch. Um, But let me know uh, if you want to see me get frustrated by Mario Maker levels that don't have checkpoints. (laughs) That's something I'm willing to look into. Uh, Yeah, Jeff, what about you? Well,
1: I have a couple of other things you could watch uh, inc- or listen to. I have the uh, the Slash Film Cast talking about movies and TV shows. We're doing our big Spider-Man Far From Home episode this week. Should be lots of fun. We have a special Spider-Man fan, Dan Gavazdan, uh, who is uh, the biggest Spider-Fan I know. He's going to join us again on the show to talk Spider-Man. Should be a lot of fun. So you can find that at SlashFilmCast.com. But the show that I'd really love for you to check out is called The Dungeon Run. Uh, I am just extraordinarily proud of it. This last episode uh, was so intense and so fun and so crazy. There were literal laughs, literal tears. Uh, One of the best jokes that I've ever made, I think. Uh, Very proud of it. Made me run around and pumping my arms because I was so happy with it. Uh, It is a wild, fun adventure that we're making up in real time. And it is something... It is a dream come true for me, and I hope people watch it so I can keep making it forever. It's called The Dungeon Run. It's a live play Dungeons & Dragons show where I'm the Dungeon Master. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, It's called The Dungeon Run. You can find it as an audio podcast. Search for that, The Dungeon Run, uh, anywhere you get audio podcasts. Or you can tune in live and actually participate. You can actually influence the story if you tune in live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time on Caffeine at caffeine.tv/slash the dungeon run all right let us wrap the show up now with our parting gifts
2: hey give us a suggestion I'm do this week give us a
0: parting gift. this is your
1: parting gift. patrick do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week
2: I sure do. Um, there's, I might have given this suggestion last time I was on. I apologize if that's the case. Uh, I don't remember. Sorry, but it is amazing. It's a book called Bringing Up Bébé by Pamela Druckerman. And, uh, she's a, uh, woman with two kids who moved to France and it, it was confronted to the way French people, uh, Bring up their children. And the way things that some uh American people do that works or doesn't and the French people do that work or doesn't. Spoiler alert. Uh, most of what we do in France works much better than the way you guys do it in the US, um, obviously. So... If it is also incredibly well written, but obviously, especially if you're expecting, uh, if, if you've had a kid, um, but even if you're, you know, friends with people who have children or babies more specifically, I would highly encourage you to listen to it or read it. Actually, it's a book. I listened to it in audiobook. Um, it is very well written. It's really fun. It's funny and uh, educational. It will. The most important thing I did when my wife was expecting was to read this book. Go out, buy it, and read it. Bringing up Bebe. Yeah.
1: the Name of the book. Very cool. Christian Spicer, parting gift?
0: It's not new, but it was the first time I watched it was this past week, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It is an Iranian Western vampire film. It is a Persian language subtitled uh, you know, I watch it with English subtitles, but um, it got raves. Both like Sundance 2014, something like that, 2015. Um, I loved it. It it is so stylish, and the ambiance, the mood that it creates, and telling its world in this fictional city of of bad city um, is really cool. It's really striking. It's black and white, and I just happened to I was having a conversation with a friend. It came up. I ended up being at my local uh, video rental shop that I still am fortunate to have one in front of me. I mean, in my uh, area and I was walking through browsing and it was literally right in front of my face, not 10 minutes after I was talking to a friend about how much he loves the film. I was like, well, it's meant to be. Uh, And I rented it and it is, it is really phenomenal. So if you haven't seen it and you want it, it's not uh, horrifyingly scary. So don't, if you're, you know, scared of scary movies, I think I can still recommend it. And it's very stylish, very cool. Um, hip film, a girl walks home alone at night. Very cool. Uh, we did get a viewer suggested
1: parting gift. This was sent to DLC at gmail.com. This comes from Jesse. Jesse writes, first off, I want to say I'm a huge fan of the show and I haven't missed an episode since I first listened about three years ago. Wow. Thanks, Jesse. That's awesome. My parting gift is a podcast called the hilarious world of depression. It's a podcast by John Moe. He interviews people in the entertainment industry, mostly comedians, who struggle with depression. They talk about things like when the first signs of depression started showing, how it's affected their life, and they make a lot of jokes about depression. None of the jokes I found were distasteful. While depression and other mental illnesses are serious, and this should not be a replacement for seeking professional help, it's still nice to have a comedic outlook on something I've been struggling with in my life. Very cool. Thanks Jesse for writing in. This is again, a podcast called the hilarious world of depression. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, you can send it to dlc at gmail.com. We appreciate getting those. Uh, my parting gift, uh, is a YouTube video that I found, uh, to be wonderful. And very enlightening. Uh, if you're on YouTube, maybe, I don't know, watching the the Dungeon Run, for example. Uh, just plug this into the search. Uh, the Problem Solving of Filmmaking. This is from Pony Smasher. And it is a video about uh, Shazam, the movie. There are, uh, I guess, light spoilers if you haven't seen Shazam. Which you should. It's quite, quite good. Really doesn't spoil much of the movie. But... It is an illustrative example of all of the things that go into making a movie. And I think everyone should watch it. It's very short, less than five minutes long, but it maybe will enlighten you uh, or someone you love that you watch it with about what it's like actually making a movie and all of the different problems that arise and how the things that you may go, Hey, that was weird. I guess these people must be bad at making movies ninety nine point nine percent of the time is because of wild weird crazy things that they were trying desperately to fix and everybody was trying to make the movie well and and things were out of their control so uh it's really really well worth watching it's called the problem solving of filmmaking it's on youtube by pony smasher all right that's gonna do it for this episode of dlc Uh, Thanks again to Patrick Beja and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Uh, Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with all of us in real time and making the show better. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.